Hello and welcome to Inclusion Insights, a podcast brought to you by Voice at the Table, your diversity and inclusion partners. In each episode, we share with you our latest tips and insights into how you can be more inclusive. Because remember, diversity is only half the story. Inclusion is what brings diversity to life. So join our episode today with your host, Voice at the Table editor, Melissa Jackson, and today's guest, founder and CEO of Voice at the Table, Rena Goldenberg-Lynch. Hi, I'm Melissa, your host for Voice at the Table podcasts called Inclusion Insights. In this first series, we'll be looking at inclusive behaviours, what they are, how they help us become more inclusive, and how to get better at them. In this series, we cover four of the eight behaviours, empathy, listening, mitigating bias, and personal values. My guest today, and for the rest of this series, is Voice at the Table founder and CEO, Rena Goldenberg-Lynch. Hello, Rena. Hi, Melissa. Rena, before we delve into the subject, can you explain a bit more what these inclusive behaviours are about? With pleasure. As a DNI consultancy, we believe that diversity is the key to improving the way we work together. And let me explain what we mean by diversity. When we talk about diversity, we talk about diversity of thought, or cognitive diversity as some might call it. How we perceive things, understand them, analyze information, interpret our environment. All this, of course, will be heavily influenced by our experience and individual filters. And this, in turn, is heavily influenced by our backgrounds and the circumstances in which we grew up. In other words, each of us will have a great deal of individuality to contribute. And the more different we are from each other in a team, the greater that depth of contribution will be. But here's the rub. While many organizations are arguably very diverse already, they don't necessarily know how to tap into this wealth of individual contribution that is already existing within. This is when inclusion comes in. Inclusion is the foundation to diversity. It is the kind of team environment that welcomes and values individual contribution. But how do we create that kind of environment? Well, at Voice at the Table, we have distilled inclusion into eight behaviours. Ah, the eight inclusive behaviours. Precisely. In this series, we focus on the first four, the ones we call the inclusion behaviours. These are the behaviours that change how we as individuals see and think of others that makes us more inclusive. Today is mitigating bias. Serena, before we start talking about mitigating bias, I'd just like you to introduce the concept of bias, what it is, where it comes from. Yes, it's important to understand it before we're even talking about mitigating it. So the thing is, is how our brain works. Our brains love patterns. That's how we make sense of all the information our brains receive. The brain sorts it into memorable clusters of behaviours, sounds, appearances, and any other category that seems similar, so that we can react to it in a similar learned way. Did you know, for instance, that we receive 11 million bits of information every moment? And what happens to the mind is because we can only consciously process 40 of them, so 40 out of 11 million bits. What happens is that 99.9% 
um, happens, all of the processing, the mental processing happens subconsciously. So we have learned to recognize patterns like the danger of crossing a busy road, so we don't have to think about that every single time we're getting ready to cross one. So our mind already knows this is a pattern, lots of cars, we need to pause, we don't have to rethink that. But this kind of automatic sorting and automatic processing becomes a problem for us as well. For instance, when you associate a name, let's say Francis, with a person you dislike, and as a result, you perceive negatively every person you meet whose name is Francis. And it does work that way. We just completely negatively predisposed to that dislike without rhyme or reason because it has lodged itself in our mind. So that's what we call biases, the shortcut thinking when we're reacting on the basis of something we've learned, and that's a bias. And the problem with bias is, of course, that they can get in the way of good decisions, especially in the workplace. The assumptions that we make about others based on learned patterns can be untrue. And if they are untrue, that means that we're making decisions which, with incorrect or incomplete information. So overcoming unconscious bias is about ensuring that we have the correct and complete information when we make those decisions. To avoid making poor decisions, we need to unravel the shortcut so that we can understand what assumptions we might be making unconsciously, our biases. And that's what we do when we try to mitigate bias. So I think you're saying we have natural filters inbuilt. We can't help that and we will make judgments based on what we synthesise from all the information that we're getting. It's trying to override that almost, isn't it? And I'm just thinking there's a good example that's been used recently, the name Karen. Yes. <laughs> and it's Terrible. really unfair. It's really unfair. So people who are called Karen, it's seen as pejorative, um, a label um, from middle-aged white woman who's entitled and ignorant, uh, sexist. It's sexist and it's ageist, okay? But um, anyone who's called Karen it could be on the receiving end of all sorts of assumptions, Exactly. And that happens all the time. So labels are a big issue. And uh, stereotypes are, of course, uh, a big problem of biases. In fact, bias and unconscious bias in particular is probably the biggest deterrent to inclusion. And it's very difficult to overcome because it is so natural. We are constantly questioning our own brains and we feel bad about making biased decisions, something that happens so naturally. So that negative connotation with the topic also makes it difficult for us to get better at it because we don't want to be biased. We don't want to be racist. We don't want to be sexist. It's also a constantly evolving process when you see what's happening on football pitches where a lot of the um, uh, the players are now sort of taking the knee on the pitch to be supportive. Uh, you know, that shows, I think, inclusivity, really. It does, it does. And that's what we need more of. I think one of the ways of getting over bias is creating new patterns in our brain that are different from the ones that we've already lodged into society. And uh, changes in society do that. Our awareness of other ways. I mean, we talk about gender, for instance. Not too long ago, we talked about a he and a her. 
And now there's lots and lots in between. And we no longer can say he or she anymore. We have to say they once in a while as well. We don't even have language that fits the changes in society they have. That, and it's all about our awareness. Nothing has actually changed. Uh, it's always been the case that we've had more genders. But now we've come to the recognition of that. And that's really what mitigating bias is all about, is becoming aware of the things that we weren't aware of before. Can you think of any good role models for this? Because I know that there are some out there. I'm thinking of, um, a long time ago, Princess Diana, who um, changed the mindset for, for how people thought about and, and responded to patients with HIV and AIDS at a time when nobody really knew much about it. Um, and uh, people were afraid, very, very afraid. And she came along, she went into the hospital, she made it quite clear that it was absolutely fine to touch these people. She took her sons in there. I mean, it certainly changed their mindset, actually. Um, and I think they, they're probably good examples of people who, who've um, changed their perceptions and the way they relate to people, mm -hmm. perhaps changed a lot of the face of the royal family. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, and, and that word courage comes up for me again. And this is the third time we're yeah. using it in our pod podcast, but it is. It is something that, that is absolutely necessary in order to overcome biases. And also suspending judgment. Uh, that's difficult to do because that, that's a learned process. But if we can suspend judgment about another person or question what we're assuming about them based on our learned behaviours, that's when we can start becoming better at mitigating bias. And the kind of people who come to mind are people who are less judgmental. So, you know, people like Mahatma Gandhi or Nelson Mandela, you know, the people who, if I asked you of who's the most non-judgmental person in the world, you'd think of the same person. Mother Teresa is definitely a good yep. one right up there. Exactly. Um, if we try to change things ourselves in our day-to-day -day activities, have you got some suggestions of what we can do? first thing I always say is, is become aware of our judgments, of our assumptions. So I'll give you an example. When you pass somebody in the road and you wave at them and you're on one side and they're on another, it's somebody you may have met at a party before or in a different context. So you wave at them to say hello, to acknowledge that you see them and they don't respond. The first instance, the first thing that goes through our brain is, oh my God, this person doesn't like me or I've done something to offend them, they don't want to talk to me anymore, or I'm simply not important enough for them to remember me. That is conscious bias, unconscious bias. These are the things that are happening in us, and we're assuming the situation based on just what's in our head. To overcome that, you would need to notice the fact that this is what you're thinking, and then ask yourself, could there be another situation? Could there be another scenario why they're not responding? For instance, that person could be, uh, you know, deep in thought about a project they're working on and not noticing the environment around them and actually not seeing anything around them. That could be an assumption. And then you could even test that assumption. So the next time you see that person uh, engaging that word courage, you could come up and say, hey, I waved at you the other day. Did you see me? And maybe they'll say, Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't see you. In fact, I didn't have my glasses on and I'm blind as a bat as I walk through the streets. 
And you see how easy it is actually to, to find a solution to our own bias that has nothing to do with our learned process or an assumption or a judgment. Yeah, we try to explain things to ourselves somehow, make sense of the world. That's what we do all the time uh, as we synthesize and filter out information. Um, but you're right, you know, there are obviously other, other things going on that we're perhaps not aware of. So I'm thinking here, are we then supposed to be questioning ourselves all the time, what we're thinking? Well, questioning, maybe not. It's, it's, it's healthy to be aware of when we're making judgments. And as we talked about, uh, about in the empathy session is trying to put ourselves into the shoes of the other person to test that assumption. So the most important thing is to become aware of it and then you can test it. So yes, questioning is sometimes and sometimes you might be right. You know, I always say stereotypes can be true of big groups of society, but they tend not to be true of individuals. So when you're applying a measure, a general measure without proof of it, to a situation or a person, maybe yes, we should question it. We should at least run through, just like researchers do in science. In science, they try to disprove a theory so that they don't fall foul of confirmation bias. So that's a technique to overcome potential bias. Um, in the boardroom, I'm thinking, how do you get over bias there, especially where there is perhaps a minority of one type of person and majority of others. I'm thinking perhaps white, um, white men, uh, fewer women and fewer ethnic minority groups represented. You know, I'm sure some people may not get quite the same amount of time to speak or they're listened to uh, yeah. during the course of that conversation. Yeah, and groupthink might be a huge issue there, which is also part of, of mitigating bias or unconscious bias, where you have an environment where there is a dominant speaker or member of a group and everybody tends to listen to them and be guided by their opinion. How do you overcome that? Well, the, the, the surest measure is obviously to diversify the group and get as many people from different backgrounds and experiences into the room so that they can have different perspectives in the room. But of course, it's important to make sure that all those different perspectives are invited to speak. Uh, and that's what we're talking about when we talk about inclusion, is making sure that those different opinions are welcomed. And that is down to leadership leadership ability. So an inclusive leader will know how to make sure that all the perspectives in the room are heard, that they're not influenced by groupthink. There are lots of great techniques that leaders can employ to do that, but it does come down to how good, how inclusive a leader you are. Yeah, I, I remember reading a book, Caroline Criado Perez, who uh, talked about um, Blind auditions, actually, yep. for um, uh, an orchestra. An orchestra, I think it was in the United States, because there seemed to be, for some reason, they couldn't really work this out. But whenever they did an audition, it seemed to be that it was men that got got uh, got the part, got yeah. the job. And so they tried this behind a screen. Suddenly, the dynamics changed. Exactly, exactly. And this is when we can't really believe our own biases. It's very difficult to imagine that we're biased because we don't want to be. And we want to be objective and we want to believe in meritocracy, which, by the way, is a myth, doesn't exist. 
um, as that experiment showed. Mm. So in that orchestra, for instance, the, the, the thinking was that the type of music that particular orchestra was playing was just more appealing to male musicians. But of course, that was completely disproven as soon as they introduced blind auditions where they couldn't tell whether the um, person auditioning was a man or a woman. And in fact, I think the, the participation in that orchestra of women uh, went up by 30% purely by introducing that one measure. I mean, it, do, it did have a significant difference. The other thing that, that I've heard that some companies are doing now to mitigate bias is um, they, they, they don't look at the sex of the applicant in their pile of, well, it's, not, it's more a virtual pile these days, I think, of applications, job applications. There's lots of great um, uh, ways of, of um, uh, distilling the CV to the content and experience of the person without, without understanding their background, not just whether they're a man or a woman, but what uni they went to. Um, you know, sometimes even names can give away ethnic backgrounds, which are also part of it. it, it seeps into our unconscious bias, and then we make decisions based on that. So there are lots and lots of ways of doing away with that. And there's also, uh, have you heard of the, the gender decoder, Melissa? No, but that sounds very exciting. I'm sure you're going to tell us. <laughs> Yes, it's um, based on based on research that um, there are certain words that are used in uh, job ads that appeal more to men than women, and therefore more, more men apply for jobs than women. Um, a research group has identified those words and decided uh, they developed a tool where if you take your job description cut and paste it into that tool, it will identify for you whether it's more appealing to men or women. Now, the interesting thing about this research is when it suggests that you switch the words, the male words, uh, to more gender-neutral words that are more appealing to women, the number of women that are attracted to those jobs increases, but the number of men attracted to this job does not decrease. So it has no impact on the number of male applicants, but it improves the number of female applicants for those jobs. So that's another way of getting over our own biases as women when it comes to certain types of jobs. That's clever, and using technology to do it as well, yeah. because uh, hopefully technology doesn't have yeah. that filter in it so much. I mean, it has positive filters that have been built in rather than the negative filters, and that they've been taken out. Yeah, exactly. So, There's lots of great examples of, of AI and technology being better than human brains in assessing others. We're 50% actually accurate when it comes to, first of all, remembering. So we only remember 50% um, of what we think we remember. And also telling whether another person lies or tells the truth. Our accuracy rate is only 50% because we are judging them based on our own filters uh, and, and perceived emotions. So AI is much better at being able to detect whether a person actually tells the truth than a human being does. So in order to make progress, are you saying we need to hand over more of that responsibility to technology? I think there are lots of opportunities to mitigate, indeed perhaps eradicate, systemic biases by introducing technology into processes like hiring, like promotion, like a lot of other ways of um, 
mitigating biases through technology. So there is, yes, there is absolutely room for us to collaborate with technology. I don't think it's, it's going to do away with human perception and human uh, communication and collaboration, but there's definitely ways we can improve our judgment. Okay, so uh, there could be a good relationship to be had there between the two, making the best of both human activity and robotic but technology. Yeah, technology, yeah. the harmony, so. the harmony could come together there. I think so. Mm. so there's, there's unfortunately the danger that the AI that's being developed at the moment is being developed by a very narrow part of society, i.e. white men in very uh, specific parts of the world. And that's a problem. And Caroline Creative Perez also talks about that because it does not pick up the humongous diversity of the world and the people in the world uh, in order to be able to identify. And it's the, the, the prime example that comes to mind is um, the Tesla, the first Tesla that, or maybe it wasn't a Tesla, but it was a, a driverless car that as soon as it was put out on the road, what did you do? Ran over a woman. It's the first thing that happened because all the tests were done on a male model. So it didn't take into account the measurements of a woman. So those are the kind yeah. of danger spots that, continue, that, that do exist in AI. So they yeah. need to be worked tweet, out. Tweet Tweaked. somehow. Yes, to be more user-friendly. Yeah. Right, I think we need to move on to the acronym here for uh, mitigating bias. Oh, yes. Because these are so useful for our listeners, I think. So what's, what's today's for mitigating bias? So to become better at mitigating bias, I um, have come up with this acronym, which is another woman's name, which is SARA. The S stops, uh, stands for stop to notice. And that's about noticing when you make a judgment about another person or about a situation. It's just really becoming aware of it and observing it from the outside to recognize the thought, so stop to notice. The A refers to our assumptions. Once you've stopped and noticed, can you ask yourself what you're assuming about that situation that led you to that judgment? So it's about looking at our assumptions, the underlying assumptions. The R is reverse. Can you try and assume something that's the opposite of that underlying assumption? You can ask yourself, is your, is your initial assumption correct? And the last A is for action. What can you do to test whether your assumption is true or not? So it's like in that example with a person across the road. Can you ask them somehow to test which assumption might be true? So ask the question. Great. Remember that one, Sarah. So hopefully that will help some of our, um, our listeners just associate with the main points that we hopefully take away from this today. And we have covered a lot of ground there again, so that's great. And I do hope the listeners feel empowered by this. If you want to find out more about inclusive behaviours, or indeed Voice at the Table, why not take a look at our website, www.voiceatthetable.com, or drop Rena a line on rena at voiceatthetable.com. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast with Rena Goldenberg-Lynch, CEO of Voice at the Table, being interviewed by me, Melissa Jackson. We hope you'll join us again for our next podcast on inclusive behaviours when we cover personal values. Until then, goodbye. <laughs>